Thanks, Sean. It's uh, great to be home. I feel uh, very much... Uh, the building was a lot different when I was here in the 80s. That's how long... I was very young back then, by the way. And uh, I first came to Roville when you met in the um, preschool centre down the road, about 300 metres. I'm looking at the carriage, about three or 400 metres down the road. Is it still there, that preschool centre? It's still there. It's hiding behind those trees. And... Um, this church allowed me to grow in my leadership. Um, it was the first time I was, a, was on church leadership and uh, a part of, of the leadership team and uh, led the youth and, and so it holds a great um, place in my heart. And uh, I know none of you were, apart from the Careys and the Belusoffs, maybe none were around back in those days. Oh, and Peter Rumble, of course. And uh, so it's, it's great to be back here. Um, as Sean said, I'm the regional pastor for Baptist Union. Um, what does that do? That means I look after, pastorally care for pastors and um, help church leadership. And I do that for the whole of the eastern Victoria. So my area starts at Wodonga, comes down the Hume Highway, sort of outskirts. This is sort of like the closest I get to Melbourne um, and all the way down to Phillip Island and everything east. So just a small part of the world. And... Um, and I look after about 60, 65 churches in that area. And so it's a, it's a privilege. I sometimes describe my role as I get paid to drink coffee with pastors, and, um, which is a lot of what I do. And, it's a, and I don't have to pay for the coffee, so it's a great gig for me. I, I love it. Wally is not here today because he's got a head cold and in this environment, we don't want to see Wally. Hi, Wally. I hope you're watching at home. And if you're not, I'll speak to you later. And um, so he should be, you know. And uh, so it's my privilege to come and share God's word with you this morning. I bring greetings from the rest of the Baptist Union. Um, it's so easy to get just isolated in our own little community and, and what Roeville Baptist does. And, and I know you have a Chinese church that meets here. Is that right? Yeah. And so you get a little bit wider exposure, but the Baptist Union is such a wide, um, eclectic group of people. If I was to ask you, now you may know the answer to this question. This is a rhetorical, I'm not going to put hands up or anything. But how many of our local Baptist churches will meet today or over this weekend and have their main service not in English? Out of the 200 and uh, 45, 250 churches in the Baptist Union of Victoria, how many do you think will have their service that's not in English? Just think of a figure between 1 and 250, it's somewhere in there, I'll give you that hint. And, and, and most people, you know, most people in my experience, you know, sort of say 20 or 30, it's closer to 80. So a third of our churches... Uh, from a non-English speaking background. That shows how diverse we are. And, and I just want to mention that a lot of those churches and all of those people have very strong roots to Myanmar and they are going through a world of pain. They've got family, they've got pastors who have been over there and trapped over there, they've, they've got um, all sorts of connections over there and they're seeing what's happening on the news and we're only seeing, from what we're hearing, we're only seeing a snippet of what is happening and the pain and the hurt that is going on in that community. So can I encourage you to pray 
for not only the Baptists in Victoria who, who, are, who are hurting, but also Myanmar as a, uh, as, as a nation as they go through great um, turmoil through the, um, through the overthrow of the government, regardless of you know, what, that, you know, what we know about that, but it's in, impacting individuals' lives. When Wally asked me to come and share, he, uh, he mentioned he was going through a series on Acts where the church is sort of evolves and, and comes out and, uh, and, and I suggested to him that he can continue that journey. But I, I thought I'd do a spoiler alert because, you know, he's talking about the, the start of the church and, and, and the embryos of the church and, and how it sort of came to form and what it looks like. Well, I thought I'd go to the end and tell you what happens at the end of the story, right at Revelation. So, if you're one of the people who don't want a spoiler, sorry, you're going to get one, and more than likely if you've been hanging around churches, you probably know what, what, what happens at the end. Because I think it's really important at this point of time to actually think, what's the end game? What are we actually here for? What is our purpose? Why do we gather here? Why do we, why do we, what do we do when we say we're committed to Jesus? And what does that mean for us? I think the last year has sort of almost been survival mode for a lot of people and a lot of churches. But I think it's time to actually take a little bit of a step back and go, what's the end game for us? What are we actually here for? And what should we be achieving? We know the end of the story. We know what happens in Revelation, and I'm going to read that to you in a little bit. When I grew up as a, as a non-Christian, became a Christian at 14, the, the, the preaching of the day was quite often, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus is coming back for you. Oh. But as I read this, I don't want to spoil your bubble. That's not true. He, he would, but he's not coming back for you. He's not coming back for me. He's coming back for one thing. He's coming back for his church. That's what he's coming back for. His church. Now, if his church is one person, he's coming back for that one person. But it's not. We know that. He's coming back for his church. His bride. That's what Jesus is coming back for. Revelation teaches us that, that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And, what, and, and he's excited about that time. Most of you would have been involved in some way, shape or form at a wedding. In some way you would have been involved, whether you are a, a parent of the bride a sibling of the bride, you've been a bride or a groom, or, or, or you, you're a younger sister or brother, you've been to a wedding and, and you know what the focus is. This is no news to the guys in this place. The focus is not the guys. The focus is the bride. Everyone wants to see what the bride's wearing what music she's going to come down to, 
What, 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 what's she going to look like? How's she going to get into the place? The guys are just there as ornaments on the day, really. When, when all said and done, they're just there as ornaments. We know that. Us guys know that. I've got two daughters that I've given away and, and I know the guys just stand there going, yep, we're here. Everyone have a, clan, a glancing look at their suit or board shorts or whatever they're wearing. But everything's on the bride. The guys have got up. They may have played nine holes of golf. They've taken 25 minutes to get ready and just appeared at the front of the church. The bride has taken forever to get ready, has had a suite of people helping her from hair, makeup, bridesmaids, all preparing. And they've been preparing for months. The guys in the week of the wedding go, I suppose I should think about what shirt I'm going to wear. If the bride hasn't organised it for them, they're thinking that about the week before, usually, in my experience. We know that everything is about the bride. And when Jesus comes, that whole day, the focus will be on the bride. Every other day in heaven, the focus is on God and the throne. But I suspect on that day, every angel, everyone will turn their heads to look at the bride. That's you and me. Let me read to you Revelation 19. And if you've got Bibles or you've got iPhones or whatever, you can turn with me. Revelation 19, verses 6 to 8. says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright, bright and clean was given to her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. You see, this passage tells us that the bride is going to be the focus. That Jesus is coming back for the bride. And there's a phrase in there that is really, really important for us to understand. It says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. There's a job description right there. Our job, our role, is to get ourselves ready. We don't know when Jesus is coming. As, as we often say, could be this afternoon. If I took a poll, everyone would go, yes, it could be this afternoon. No one will be expecting it this afternoon, which means it could be. But we always think it's you know, further down the track. It, it, it's going to come. Intellectually, we'll say it's going to come any time. But practically, we go, oh, yeah, it'll, it'll happen sometime down the track. But we should be ready this afternoon. 
What have you done this week to prepare the bride for Jesus' coming? If I can leave you with one question, two questions actually, I'll, I'll sum up my sermon, which is dangerous so early in, this, in that piece because I've still got two hours to go. What have you done this week and what are you going to do next week to prepare the bride? If I can leave you with those two questions for you to ponder, I think I've achieved something. You see, we are called to make ourselves ready. It's not Wally's responsibility to get you ready. It's not Sean's responsibility to get your young people ready. That's not their responsibility. We are responsible to get the bride ready corporately. It's our responsibility which makes it your responsibility. We need to be ready. This tells us how we do it. It's a pretty intense instruction book. Most instructions these days don't make sense when you get a new product. They're about three lines and they're written in a way that you, you can't make sense of it. But this is pretty down to earth. It's pretty simple. We try and make it complicated, but it's a pretty simple book, really. It's an instruction book of, of how we get ready. We... We are given the clothes we need to wear. It's my dream. I would come out often when I had two teenage daughters at home and my wife, I would come out dressed for church and I would get a comment, are you wearing that to church? And my response was always the same, obviously not. And I would go and try again. We are given the clothes to wear. We are, we are given these clothes by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. These clothes of righteousness that we need to put on. I don't know about you, but when I think of the clothes of heaven, the clothes of righteousness, you know, these fine clothes, it's something like we would wear to church. Something we... You know, we'd get dressed up, we'd wear to a wedding. But then, that's not right. It says, um, the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. The clothes we wear has to do with the works we're called to do. Not a gospel of works to get saved. We're saved to do good works. We're not saved by good works. So get that squared away to start with. But we are called to actually live out our faith, to live out what we believe and what we say. Coming to a building on a Sunday morning or watching online on a Sunday morning is a great thing to do. But if it doesn't impact the way we live out our lives throughout the week, it's just another activity. 
It's just another thing in our diary. Like many of you would have been watching the tennis last night, it's just another thing that doesn't really impact us, but it's interesting and it's enjoyable and it's a part of our community. But if it doesn't change the way we live out our life, then it's not actually the church of God that we're called to be a part of. There are some parts in scripture where I have this, what I call, puppy dog experience. Now, if you've seen a puppy dog, every now and again, you know, you'll talk to it and it'll go, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I've got this, I've inherited this dog at home from my daughter and, and he's very intelligent. He, he, he obeys everything, but every now and again he looks at it and he goes, what did, you, what did you say? What did you want me to do? And he looks at you a bit strange. This parable in Matthew 22 that I want to read to you is one of those puppy dog experiences for me because it doesn't make sense at the first reading. Well, for me it didn't. So in Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14, it's the parable of the wedding banquet. And it says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like the king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. They sent some some more servants and said, Tell those who had been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the the servants, The banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests, socially distancing. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in without wearing wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. That's a picture of the kingdom of heaven by Jesus himself. And it tells the story of a king whose first guest didn't come, so I said, just grab anyone you can, I need to fill the wedding banquet hall. I don't want to look like an idiot with no friends. And so they just gathered the good and the bad, and probably the ugly. But he he gathered anyone. Then the king came in and spotted someone not wearing the right clothes. 
and said, in front of everybody, what are you doing here? You can't wear that to the banquet. And the guy's gone, but I was minding my own business on the street corner and your servants just dragged me in here. I didn't really want to come. I don't even know who you are. Tie him, throw him out. And my head goes, how's a kingdom of heaven like that? Seems so unfair. So superficial about judging people about what we wear. And yet when you compare it with the Revelation story, it starts to make sense. It starts to make sense. We're all invited to the great wedding. But we've got to make sure we're wearing the right clothes. The clothes that are provided for us. Jesus died on the cross to give us those robes of righteousness. To give us forgiveness. To give us wholeness. To give us purpose and meaning. To welcome us into the family of God. That was all done for us. And he says, here are the clothes of which you can put on. They're working clothes. They're clothes that are allowed to get dirty. There are clothes that are allowed to get messy. There are clothes that should actually show the impact of being a part of the family of God. They're clothes that you wear to a celebration because you celebrate what you because of being a part of the family, have achieved. Not in a proud way, not in an arrogant way, but in a humble, appreciative way of what God has allowed you to do. You know, last year was, as I said, was a bit of a survival year for so many churches and so many people, but so many good stories came out of it. So many great stories came out of it. And I'm sure great stories came out of the Roeville Church of what you actually achieved when you had your working clothes on. Hampton Park Church had the opportunity to, to, to start a whole new ministry. They got the opportunity to, to, to drive in a shower truck into their car park once a week. And once a week they set up the shower truck so that the homeless people of that area could come and shower and, and, and clean themselves up, get a meal and go off for another week. They were getting their clothes a bit dirty as they reached out into their community, as they lived out their faith. Other churches sort of took the focus off of of obviously gathering together but actually to, to sort of be saying you are now the pastor in your street. You are now the pastor to your neighbours because you're living there. You are the ones that need to reach out to those people. You are the ones who need to love those people, support those people. 
So many more people met their neighbours for the first time after living next to them for years. They were getting their clothes that little bit dirty and reaching out. You see, we as Christians are called to a life of work, of living out our salvation. I don't know what it's like here, but I know in a lot of Baptist churches, and a lot of churches, a lot of ministries haven't operated for 12 months. And a lot of volunteers have gone, oh, this is so good. This is so nice. And now people are getting up in the front of church saying, playgroup's starting up again. Youth starting up again. We need volunteers. And you're going, oh, do I have to? Do I have to go back to that lifestyle? Do I have to do that again? We, we need someone who's going to, you know, set up COVID safe stuff for this ministry or, or pack up this ministry. And, it, and volunteers are going, I really enjoyed having that 12 months off. I've been doing it for so long, maybe I won't come back. And, and maybe you shouldn't. But I go back to the question I asked. What have you done to prepare the bride and what are you going to do? And my mantra, my whole ministry has always been do not do anything because someone up here asks you. I'm just going to contradict myself here, obviously. You know what I'm saying? You've got to go back, volunteers. Don't do it because I asked you. Do it because you actually asked the King of Kings, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because it may not be what you used to do. It may be something new and something fresh and something exciting. Or it may be something old and something, something exciting and something life-changing. It's always exciting doing what God wants you to do because you're never quite sure how it's going to pan out because it's a step of faith. Because if you're doing it in your own strength, then you're actually missing out the point. Everything we do is a step of faith. Spurgeon said your last six steps to the pulpit should be steps of faith and you should be feeling nervous. Because I can get up and ramble, but I want to ramble what God wants me to ramble. And that's where I get nervous. It's a step of faith. What's God asking you to do? What has he dressed you for? The church in Acts was an active church. It was a vibrant church. God was adding to the numbers daily because they were out doing things. There was action happening. What are you doing because of your relationship with Jesus? Not because Wally's asked you or Somebody else has asked you. But what are you doing because Jesus has asked you? Because Jesus has dressed you for a purpose. He's given me certain gifts. He's given you certain gifts. I don't know about you, but 
If someone gives me a gift and I just pack it away and put it in the cupboard and don't use it, that says something about how important I think that person is in my life. Whether I think that gift is good, bad or indifferent, they've thought about it and they've given this gift to you. God has given you a gift or gifts. What are you doing with it? What have you done this week? And what are you going to do next week because of your relationship with Jesus? That's your homework. That's what I want you to ponder. It may not be in an organised ministry. I'm, I'm not one for filling rosters. I'm one for, for helping people to live out their faith for the way God has called you to live out their faith. I believe God will gift the church to do the ministries that they're called to do. That'll happen. But what I'm talking about is you living out your faith for your benefit, for your discipleship, for your growth, for, you, for what you need to do to prepare the bride who needs to walk down the aisle to meet the King of Kings. What have you done last week? What are you going to do this week to prepare the bride for the coming King? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word that just lights our path for us. Father, I pray that as we go from this place that you will give us insight into what you are calling us to do. That you'll give us confirmation of what we're already doing and that you'll challenge us in areas where we need to to step out to in faith. Father, give us a heart and, and, uh, and a passion for the areas that you want us to serve you and honour you. And Father, may we continue to live out our faith just the way you call us to. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.